Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. I am excited for what he's going to speak to you tonight through his living, breathing word. Ephesians 6. We're going to start in verse 10. Scripture says, finally. And I'm going to stop there for a second because what Paul is saying here is, here's the kicker. Here's the big deal that I don't want you to miss, right? Finally, after I've said all of that, the pleasantries and the things that matter, but really I want to get to what I want you to remember. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Okay, Paul, how are we to be strong? Verse 11, put on the full armor of God. And I want to remind you what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that it's God's armor. It's not just from God. It's supplied by God, and it's his, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, the devil being the enemy of our souls. Verse 12, for our struggle, because we do have a struggle, the struggle is real, (laughs) is not against flesh and blood. It's not against stuff that we can see. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that you learned last week that part of your job as the church, Big C Church, is to speak to those rulers and tell them the truth of God. Verse 13, therefore, meaning understanding all of that, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, some of you guys saw the day of evil today. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That's what we talked about the first week. Understanding what tells you your truth and what you believe is true is going to determine your reactions to everything. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, the breastplate of righteousness that is not our righteousness, but his righteousness, our identity found in who he is, not who we are. Verse 15, and with your feet fitted with what? Readiness. We laughed last week about the fact that I, growing up my whole life, had been taught that it was shoes of peace. It is not shoes of peace. It's shoes of readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We talked about being ready last week. Now we're to this week's verse, verse 16. In addition to all of this, Take up the shield of what? Faith. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Last week we talked about that word faith, that term, and that it doesn't mean just a head knowledge, but it has everything to do with tenacity. Tenacity, trusting 
in such an active way that you were unwilling to quit. There's a picture, a visual of a dog, right, that has a hold and just won't let go. Tenacity. And scripture is clear that when we have faith like that, it can and will and will act as our shield. Our shield that will not only stop all the arrows of the enemy, but extinguish them. And I love that picture. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. This week, in fact, yesterday, I had a meeting with my precious, precious friend, Michelle. Is she here? Yes, you are. Michelle is a godsend to everybody that knows her. And she uh, is helping us with this um, great transition on our staff with um, our awesome kids pastors that are going to get to go back and be closer to family in California. And so we were chatting through that yesterday, and she made a comment about my fingernails. And, and I said, oh, you mean my press-ons? And she was like, whoa, 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 wait. Are you telling me that what you have on, your fingers, is just the glue on kind? And I'm like, girl, let me tell you, the secret of all secrets, CVS, $5. CVS, $5, gel, real short, petite, because my fingernail beds are tiny. And she laughed because she said, yesterday I saw you at church and I saw your nails and I thought, of course, she's got time (laughs) and money to go get that manicure. And I said, girl, you don't even realize I popped three off on the way to church. I was back in my office sitting on the floor gluing them back on. So if you guys find any of them, just bring them to me. Just kidding. Just kidding. But we've got misconceptions about things, don't we? About people, about situations, about circumstances. We all have misconceptions, maybe even about what our life would look like when we said yes to Jesus. Tonight's battle that we're going to look at, we're actually going back in chronological time in scripture. I want to go back and I want to look at a battle that happened shortly after God's chosen people had been released, had escaped from the bondage of slavery. And we're going to pick up in Exodus 17. And what I want you to see is what tends to happen the second you start to walk into the freedom that God's called you to. Exodus 17, starting in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And I want that to process in your minds for a second. Because 
What we tend to expect when we start to initially walk into freedom, to walk into the promises that God has for us, what we tend to expect is peace and happiness and everything's getting rosy real fast. And that's not what scripture tells us. That is a misconception that we have made up. And I believe it's a misconception that the enemy has given us so that we are caught off guard. Because what happens when you actually start to walk into the freedom of God, the very first thing that is going to happen is attack. And I want you to understand too that when you expect attack, even the armor that God explains to you tells you to expect not only attack, but severe attack. Attack that will be initial and then residual. We're going to talk through seven battles of the Old Testament throughout these seven weeks. And did you know that every single battle is against God's chosen people? People that you and I believe that we're grafted into because of what Jesus did. And so tonight, I want to ask you what your misconceptions are about what life is supposed to look like. When the armor of God says something like this, look back at Ephesians 6, in verse 16, Scripture said, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which we're going to talk about tonight, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Whoa, wait, wait. So I don't just have regular arrows coming at me. These things have got to be on fire too. Flaming arrows. I don't know if I signed up for this, you know? Like, come on, Lord. Can't they be like arrows from Cupid or something? Hearts on the end of them. Flaming arrows. But God speaks exactly to that. Look with me. Isaiah 54. God knew that the attacks that the enemy has planned for your life, scheduled for you, aren't only just initial attacks. But those flaming arrows are lit in such a way that once you get hit with that attack, then the fire starts to spread. And then it spreads to your family, right? Maybe to your marriage, maybe in your work. And it starts making this ripple effect that is so incredibly dangerous, sometimes far more dangerous than the initial arrow itself. And that's what Isaiah 54 speaks to. Look with me. God is talking about this exact thing, and he's speaking of Zion, which applies to us too when we decide to follow Jesus. Starting in verse 17, it says, No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Now understand, weapons are still going to be formed against you. Those weapons are going to be created. Those attacks are going to be launched. But scripture says they will not have the success in which they were created to have. They will not prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment will be condemned. This is the, say it out loud, heritage This is the heritage of who? Of the servants of the Lord. 
So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, if your trust is in who God is and what he's done for you, scripture says, this is your heritage. And that's my first point for you here tonight. The first question that I want you to consider tonight, what is your heritage? What is your heritage? Write that down. That's something that you're going to need to ask yourself over the next few weeks. What is your heritage? When I was looking at scripture and this word in the original language, heritage is actually inheritance. And how many of you know there's a few different types of things that you can inherit? I'm a psychologist by trade. All of my degrees are in psychology. I was a professor of psychology before I was a pastor. And so psychology will tell you that inheritance can be nature or nurture, right? You can inherit things that you're born with or given so if you have a wealthy relative that passes away, right, that can be given to you, nothing you really did, that was nature, you were already born into that family, that was biology, or nurture, it can be what you spend your time on that causes you to inherit traits. I have a son that is four years old. I have, I have a daughter that's seven, and I have a son that's four, but my son is named after his great-grandfather. And I did good because I hit the nail on the head. I have pictures for you. My son, Fulton Buntain Wilkerson, is named after his great-grandfather, Fulton Buntain, who was a pastor here for decades before he went to be with the Lord. And if you look... We named Fulton before he was born. And boy, doesn't he look like his great-grandpa. I'm not even joking. There's not usually a week that goes by in this community that I'm in a grocery store that someone doesn't stop me and go, I don't know who you are, but that boy has got to be related to Fulton Buntain. Exactly. And you know what? JF, my husband, John Fulton, is his full name. John Fulton looks just like Papa as well. And what's so interesting is that Fulton was born looking like Papa and his daddy with that buntane forehead that is unmistakable and that perfect little nose that people spend so much money to try and achieve. He was born looking like him. But my husband not only looks like him, but has his mannerisms. Because Papa helped raise him. Because he spent time with his grandfather. And he learned his ways. And he started to mimic his ways. And here's what I want you to understand. Scripture says clearly that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's your inheritance. Part of it is born into you in your DNA because you were created in the image of God. Part of it is learned. Part of it comes when you spend time in your Father's presence. 
Part of it is learned when you get into the word of God and you let it change you and mold you so that you're walking through a grocery store and somebody says, woo, she looks like her daddy, right? Heritage, your inheritance. Where are you spending your time? What are you pouring into? The Amalekites are direct descendants of Esau, which is so interesting because Esau had a twin brother, Jacob. And they were similar in the sense that they had the exact same DNA, right? They came from the same parents. They came from the exact same chromosomes, right? And yet one nurtured the carnal. One fed the carnal. One was focused on the carnal. And Jacob, despite all of his screw-ups, he fed the spirit. He understood the power of the spirit more than the carnal. And we know and see that result. I want you to understand that what you give attention to will grow. Always. What you give attention to will grow. And the shields that we were talking about, the shields of faith, if you're giving attention to faith, if you're pouring into your faith life versus your doubt life, those shields, I want to talk about the visual of the shields for just a second. And I think I have a picture of one of the ancient shields. They were typically made out of wood because wood was a, a little lighter than metal and obviously a lot more readily available. But I never really realized that these shields were typically wrapped in leather and in fabric. And don't miss this. This is a powerful visual. Then, right before battle, the shields were soaked in water. Why? Because they knew the flaming arrows were coming. I want you to see this picture. Don't miss this. Because if you're looking for a plan to extinguish the arrows of the enemy, you need to understand that you have to get into the word of God. And Paul, just one chapter before he unpacks this picture, just one chapter before, talks about this visual. It's Ephesians 5, and in this instance, he's talking to husbands, but it applies to everyone. And he says, he's describing how Christ loved the church. He says, Jesus gave himself up for the church to make her holy. How did he make her holy? By cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. What's he doing? He's taking that shield, and he's just immersing it. Over and over. Why? Because he knows those flaming arrows are coming. And you need to make sure that you're not just blocking that arrow, but that residual fire that wants to spread through your life gets extinguished too. And that's done through the word of God. And that's done by a continual washing over and over through the water of the word. Back to the story. Exodus 17, looking at verse 9. Israel's getting attacked. We just read that. 
And this is what Moses instructs. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the, what? Staff of God in my hands. I will stand on a hill with a staff. Most of you know Moses' story. If you don't, Moses was born into a particularly challenging situation. And the Lord not only rescues him and draws him out, he makes a way for him to be raised in the palace with Pharaoh's family. And then the Lord has an assignment for Moses. And this assignment is to lead his actual people, the Israelites, out of that slavery and bondage of Egypt. And Moses is like most of us in the sense that when God gave him a very specific assignment that wasn't pretty and didn't sound like a lot of fun, he argued with God. And he said, no, 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 God, I'm not the guy. I am not the guy. Let's see, there's that thing where I killed that one guy, and then I also am not very good at talking, and they are never, ever going to believe me. God, I am not your guy. Please, Lord, give it to someone else. And look at what the Lord says in response to Moses. Exodus 4 In verse 1, Moses answered, Lord, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. If you read Moses' story, the Lord uses what was already in Moses' hand over and over, and over, and over. And this is a picture that we see in Scripture over, and over, and over. The Lord looking for people that are willing to serve Him with what is already in their hands. So I want to ask you tonight, what is in your hand? That's the second question that I want you to ponder this week. What is already in your hand? What has God already equipped you with that he wants you to use for his glory? Exodus 17, verse 10, Joshua fought the Amalekites just as Moses had ordered. And Moses, with his staff, remember, he said he was going up the hill with his staff. So Moses, with his staff, Aaron and her, Aaron was his older brother, her was married to Miriam, Moses' sister. Aaron and her went to the top of the hill with Moses and his staff. And scripture says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, 
The Amalekites were winning. Somebody needs to hear this tonight. Someone's battle in this place is one if you'll just be willing to worship the Lord with what's already in your hand. If you'll be willing to worship the Lord with what he's already equipped you with, the Lord says this is the key to your battle. If you're willing to worship in a faith-type way, in a tenacious, unwilling-to-quit way with what you're already equipped with instead of praying for different weapons, the Lord says you will see victory in ways that you can't imagine. My father is my hero. I uh, am blessed with unbelievable parents. They still live in Georgia. They're coming to visit in a few weeks. My mom's going to be here for the last Bible study. So I'm excited about that. My dad is my hero and he is the strongest man that I know, and, and my husband will tell you the scariest man that he knows. <sighs> Not scary to me, but I'm his baby girl. So my dad has not lived an easy life, though. Born and raised in the same hometown that I was born and raised in, the same place that they still live today, to a very, very poor family, had to work very, very hard, which he's so grateful for. Met my mom in high school, they were high school sweethearts, and he was smitten, talked her into marrying him right after they graduated. To this day, he says it was the very best and dumbest decision of their lives. <laughs> and when my parents had been married for, I guess, about a year and a half, almost two years. My oldest brother was born. My dad has always been a Renaissance man. So he was learning amazing trades as a child. He was working full-time jobs in addition to going to school when he was like 12. And so when he got married, not only did he know all electrical, all plumbing, all things mechanical, right? Cars, whatever, all things welding. I mean, you should see the list that I have for him for, you know, three weeks from now, right? Working around my house. My dad can do everything, all things construction, all of it. And he did what everyone thought was impossible and with you know, a new wife, relatively new, right? That's still the honeymoon stage, and they had a new baby. My brother was just born. My dad said everyone told him he couldn't go to college, and so he was going to go to college. So he started community college and was working three jobs to make all their ends meet. But he was thrilled that he could work. And one night he was working at one of the jobs, which is a welding job, and he describes that he was trying to move one massive piece of equipment, and so he took the rope and he wrapped it around his right hand and started to move it, and some portion of the machine malfunctioned. 
And when it malfunctioned in a split second, the machine jerked the rope and it pulled my father's right hand off. And this was in a, a little bitty town, kind of in the middle of nowhere, and so many decades ago that the idea of reconstruction just wasn't a reality. The idea of an insurance payout wasn't a reality. I believe what workers' comp gave him was $300, so it didn't even touch any of the medical bills. And when my dad describes it to me, he explains that the physical pain was terrible, but that was nothing compared to the idea that he now had no clue how he was going to provide for his family. Because all of his skills centered around using his hands. He was a brand new Christian. Had just come to know the Lord right before he and my mom got married. And so for the first time, he started to really have to seek the Lord in the middle of discomfort. In the middle of misery. In the middle of having no clue what was next. And so he determined, Lord, I'm going to use whatever you've put in my hands. So he started to think, well, you know what? I know all of these tools. I may not be able to use them anymore, but I know them and I can sell them. And so he went and found a headhunter, borrowed a suit, and went and met with the headhunter and, and explained with excitement, I know these tools. I can explain to people how to use them. I can sell them. All of these things. And the headhunter was impressed by his upbeat attitude, having just lost his hand. It hadn't even come close to healing yet. He knew he needed to find a job. And my dad explained that while he was in the meeting with that headhunter, the gentleman got a phone call about a position that had just come open. And my dad said that he wrote some stuff down and hung up the phone and he said, Lamar, that's my dad's name, I have a job for you. I want you to go to this interview. And my dad said, awesome, which tool company is it? And he said, no, 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 it's big office duplicators, copy machines, printers. And my dad said, oh, no, I, I know nothing about anything office. I've never worked a white-collar job. I don't know that many people that have. I, I'm, not, I'm not the guy. And he said, just go. My dad describes as a new Christian getting in the car, thinking about my mom's face and his little boy. And he said, Lord, if you'll give me the opportunity, I'll do it. Whatever it is, whatever you provide, God, I'll do it. You just open the door. I'll run through it for your glory. My dad went to that interview that day. And not only did he get the job, he retired 30 years later as VP of the national company. God outrageously blessing his willingness to worship him, to glorify him with whatever was in his hand. Dad said he didn't waste time. That's the beauty about losing a limb, I believe, is that not many people waste too much time 
on praying. Not that God can't do it, but dad said, I, I, want, I want to glorify him with what I still have. With what God has given me, I had knowledge and understanding and skills. What is in your hand that the Lord wants you to worship him through? That the Lord wants you to give him glory through, to be willing to hold in the battle. The beauty about what Moses knew was that he knew not only was it found in worshiping the Lord with what was already in his hands, it was also found in the power of numbers. Moses knew that he was not supposed to enter into this battle alone. Exodus 17 verse 12. Scripture says that when Moses' hands grew tired, did you know that epic Bible heroes still grow tired? They still get exhausted. They still get weary. When Moses' hands grew tired, and here's what's amazing, Moses knew how dangerous it was for his hands to get tired. And he'd already made provisions for that. They, meaning Aaron and her, took a stone and put it under him. He sat on it. Aaron and her held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, still holding the staff, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. My last point, and Amy, you and the band can come back. My last point that I want you to think about this week, maybe it's this month, maybe it's this year. Who are you holding? Who are you holding? Well, wait, Ashley, don't you mean who's holding me? No, no, Who are you holding? Galatians 6, 2 says that when you make a decision to carry someone else's burdens, you're actually fulfilling the entire law of Jesus. Stop for a second. To my knowledge, there is nowhere else in Scripture that says you do this one thing and it's all fulfilled other than this passage. When you make a conscious decision to see someone else's burden and say, oh no, I'm with you. I'll help you carry that. I'll walk with you. Are we gonna get tired? Oh yeah, that looks heavy. Yeah, it is. Can you imagine how much heavier that shield was when it was drenched in that water? It was heavier. They got weaker and tired faster when it was heavier. But when we make a decision to see someone else's burden and say, you know, I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to make it my burden too. We're actually walking out the entire message of Jesus. And I know what some of you are thinking to yourself right now. Yeah, but Ashley, I, I mean, I can't, I couldn't possibly walk that closely with someone else. 
I mean, that would kind of even require me sharing my burdens with them. Yeah, it would, actually. It's kind of the point. But actually, you don't realize, like, I have some really dark stuff I'm dealing with. In fact, you don't realize that I laid in bed last night and thought about how my family might be better off if I wasn't living. It's strange, Ashley, because I know Jesus and I've been following him and yet I've been wrestling with this suicide thing. I can't tell that to somebody. I can't let somebody bear that. Ashley, you don't know the depression that I deal with on a constant basis, the attacks that I'm under. And I want to tell you that for you, whoever you are, I want to show you a passage of scripture that the Lord showed me for the very first time this week. I've read this passage, has to be tons of times, because I love this entire letter but I've never seen it with the clarity that I saw this week. And it's for you, whoever you are. Whoever you are that's sitting right now going, you don't understand the load that I'm carrying. You don't get how exhausted I am. You don't understand. Sometimes I'm driving and I think, man, if I just weave into that traffic, then it'll look like an accident. For you, I want to encourage you. Not only does God hear you and see you, but you're dealing with something that the great heroes of the faith dealt with. In fact, the incredibly gifted individual that heard the Lord so clearly that God allowed him to pin two-thirds of the entire New Testament. This is what he said in his words. Holy Spirit inspired. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is writing. Verse 8, he says, In his letter to Corinth, the church in Corinth, we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. We were getting attacked, is what he's saying. We're in a battle for our lives. And he says that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. We were so weak that we despaired even of life. Did you know that the Apostle Paul dealt with suicidal thoughts? We despaired even of life. Indeed, we had this sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves. I didn't even, I didn't even trust myself to be strong enough in the Lord to get out of this. But God, <laughs> in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and He will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, and He will yet deliver us. 
You also joining. You also joining. You also joining. He's talking about numbers there. In helping us through what? Through your prayers. So that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Paul and those traveling with him were under attack to the point of wanting to die. And he said, we knew the Lord would deliver us. Paul had been delivered before, over and over. Paul, who had that miraculous conversion from being what would be the modern day leader of ISIS to the head of churches. And Paul said, I know the power of God. And yet the Lord chose your prayers to deliver us. Your prayers, bearing others' burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. This past year was a year of great blessing for our family. Clearly, we got to move into this incredible position. But for those of you that don't know us too well, it was one of the hardest years of our lives, probably the hardest. As a couple, as pastors, we dealt with betrayal. We dealt with lies. We dealt with accusations. We dealt with manipulation. We dealt, you name it. And we watched as things unfolded that we were like, Lord, what is going on? And right as a lot of that started to unfold before us, we have precious friends. Nancy's here. Nancy and her husband, JC, called us and they said, you guys need to get away. We have a cabin at Lake Cushman. And they said, go, take your kids. Get some respite. Just airlift out of this mess. And we were driving there, and I got to tell you, we were weary. We were weary of the battle. And here's what's crazy. It wasn't stuff that we did. It was attacks from every side, dealing with all kinds of other stuff. And it was, Lord, what is going on? And on that drive to Lake Cushman, I'll admit to you, I said, Lord, where are you? God, have you forgotten about us? Lord, what is going on? Where are you, God? I didn't say it out loud. The kids are in the car. My husband was thinking it too. We were just silent. Just like so exhausted, you can't even speak. And we got to the cabin and my daughter Israel reminded me, you promised we could walk to the lake. 
Baby, it's starting to get dark. The, the lake part is gonna close. That, it, it, we can't, we can't tonight. And my very prophetic seven-year-old, she was six then, looked at me and said, Mom, we're supposed to go to the lake. <laughs> okay, all right, let's go. What's crazy is we didn't realize that they have lake access across the street. So we drove like a mile down the road. God had a plan. To the state park area, every in droves, people are coming out, you know, because it's closing time and we are the crazy people that are walking in <laughs> pay the money to park and so we're walking out to the water and it wasn't a big place at all it's a very small area and there was one family left in the whole park area one family and so we thought okay good it's the last thing we want right now is people And we just sat, my husband and I sat on the park bench and just stared into space. And our little ones went and ran to the water and started splashing. And Fulton, being Fulton, starts throwing rocks, except for it was kind of close to the people. <laughs> so, Fulton, nobody, don't throw the rocks, don't throw the rocks. Not that way, you get it out in the, you know. And then Israel starts splashing near the little girl that was near kind of her age. Israel, baby, don't splash, just play. And in that moment, the woman turned her head around and she said, Ashley Wilkerson. I said, yes, ma'am, that's my name. She said, you spoke at our women's conference two months ago. And she said, I'm not exactly sure what your family's walking through, but the Lord has had me praying for you every day. And her husband walked up and the two of them placed their arms on us and started praying in the spirit over us. And I believe that if for no other reason on the planet, we were there that day in that spot so the Lord could say, I have you. I've got people praying for you, standing with you. And scripture is so powerful because we know that James 5 articulates this beautifully. We love to quote the last part of James 5. We love to talk about the prayers of a righteous person avail much, right? Effective prayers of a righteous person. But I don't hear people too often unpack the first part. And the first part I believe is the key to the entire deal. Because James 5 says in verse 16, Confess your sins, 
In the original language, confess your struggles, confess your trials, confess your weaknesses to one another. And you pray for one another so that you may be healed. When you do that, the prayers of the righteous are effective. They accomplish much. So Lord, I want to be healed. Then pray for somebody. No, 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 but Lord, I want to be healed. Right. Find somebody and pray for him. But Lord, I'm weak. Yeah, I know. Find somebody and pray for them. But Lord, I need prayer. Yeah, I got you. Find somebody and pray for them. Then your prayers are more effective. And your prayers will avail much. I want you to see the picture of these shields of faith. Because scripture says that the shield of faith extinguishes the arrows of the enemy. But what we know about ancient warfare is that when warriors come together and link their shields, they become an impenetrable wall that extinguishes them all. Now my shield extinguishes the arrows that are pointed at you. Now your shield extinguishes the arrows that are pointed at me. And the enemy cannot get through when we're willing to link arms. I'm gonna end a little different tonight because there is something so powerful about stepping out in faith, about having the tenacity to not care whether people think you look silly or not, being willing to admit, hey, I'm walking through something. I'm weak. I got something going on. These arrows are coming at me. And I need sisters to link arms. If that's you right now, I want you to be bold. And I want you to get up out of your seat and come stand down here. Come on, come on, come on. Say, Ashley, I'm walking through stuff. I've got, I've got arrows coming at me from all kinds of direction. I need sisters to link arms with. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to lift your hands. It's a symbol, it's worship. It's also showing the Lord, God, I'm willing to glorify you with what you've placed in my hands. And here's the thing. I thought, <laughs> oh, I saw you guys this morning. I thought we would have women come and hold your arms up. But you're going to link arms and hold each other's arms up right now. 
Hold, hold the hand, hold the arm of the woman next to you. Yes, Ashley, it's awkward. I don't know her at all. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Your shields, your shields are creating an impenetrable wall that the enemy cannot get through. If your arms get tired, you can, you can lower them. That doesn't make you mean it any less. The enemy is a liar, right? If I lower it, the symbol's not there. I want to show you one more picture. One more picture, and then I want you to worship. One more picture, and I want you to pray for the sisters around you. Exodus 17, in verse 13, and this is how the battle closes, says, Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. Let, let me tell you what that means. A banner in warfare was like a flag that warriors looked to to see if the battle was over yet to see if they had been taken captive, to see if they had surrendered. And I want you to see the visual, because every time Joshua is fighting in that valley, he looks up, and on a hill, on a hill, he sees three men, and one is in the center. And one has his staff lifted, and it looks a little like a cross. It looks a little like a cross. And what happens is Moses says, and you can go and read it tonight. Moses says, Joshua needs to be told this over and over and over because the day's gonna come, Moses tells him, the day's gonna come that I'm not gonna be standing on that hill, but Jesus is your banner. Jesus is the one that you will look to. Jesus has paid the price and he will tell you what is finished and what's been won for you and so right now put your eyes on him right now take the hand of the person that you were holding a minute ago we're gonna pray for each other yeah but Ashley I don't pray you do now that's right there's no better time to start than right now and here's what I'm gonna ask you to do I'm asking you to pray out loud because your words have power and if you weren't here last week, go watch that video because we talked about how the Lord has made it so clear in scripture that part of your assignment, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to speak to the heavenly realms. Speak to the spirit world. You have that authority, not because of you. Oh, don't get that wrong. Not because of you, because of him. You have that power. So start to pray over your sister next to you, on your left and on your right. Speak it out. If you pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. If you never have before and you want to, ask Him. Ask Him. It's not weird. It's the Holy Spirit praying through you. Begin to pray over your sister on your right and your left. You are getting healing in the midst of these prayers. God is healing you. You are linking those shields, making that impenetrable wall. The enemy hates it. Those arrows are being extinguished in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are igniting fire, fire inside of us and extinguishing the fire of the enemy outside of us. Thank you, Lord, that through your power, your strength, God, we are linking arms. Lord, make us tenacious. Give us those shields of faith, God, that create walls that no enemy can get through. Lord, that we will lead the battle in our homes, Lord, in our workplace, in our marriages, God, at school, in our families. Lord, we thank you, God, for what you're doing. You're healing, Lord. You're healing. You're healing. Thank you, God, for the heritage, the inheritance, Lord, that there is not one weapon that will prosper as we hold that shield of faith, Lord, as we are tenacious and we link arms together, God. Thank you. Thank you for that inheritance. Help us, Lord, to begin to wash our faith with the water of your word, constantly immersing that shield, Lord, in the word of God so that we are ready to defeat the enemy of our souls. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. You're healing, Lord. Holy Spirit, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Begin to praise him. Praise him for what he's doing before you see it, because the battle has been won. He's your banner. He determines. He's your banner. Thank him. Say it out loud. Thank him for your sister. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have won this battle. The battle over sickness. The battle over sin. The battle over shame. The battle over death. The battle over divorce. that will be birthed out of this tonight that you will tell your children's children this is when I met Aunt Lucy May I need a Lucy May in my life there's something powerful that God's doing thanks again for joining us to hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.